0: It's got my mind of you, and everywhere I turn is a reminder.
1: to Barab Ministries and Intimate Local Christian Church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth. Jesus Christ is God, and we worship the one and only true God, the sovereign God of the universe. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 affirm it. They say, For in Jesus the Christ, All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. What that means is that Jesus has the same essence that is in every member of the Godhead, Colossians 2.10. And in union with him, you believers in Christ have been made completely full by God the Father. We have everything we need to do anything we want in this life. Jesus is the head over every principality. Those are angelic powers and every authority. Spiritual maturity is ours as God the Holy Spirit keeps on nourishing our fullness, keeps on nourishing our completeness because we are in union with Christ. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of both unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers get the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. Believers get the Word of God, the Bible, the inerrant canon of Scripture, so that those who study the Word can have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. Well, why do Christians study the Word of God? We get to know the Lord Jesus Christ by studying the Bible, which is His exact thinking revealed. And as we develop our relationship with the Lord, we get to know His mind. You don't really have a relationship with someone if you don't know them very well. Knowing the truth of the Word of God, is the only way to spot false teachers and their false teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All Scripture is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be mature, totally equipped for every good work. The Bible is not just a book, The Bible is not just a bunch of guys who are sitting around writing their opinions. The Bible has no contradictions. The Bible is the absolute truth. And the Bible and its truths are from the source of God and not from the source of man. And they edify us to handle the challenges of living in the world. Well, who is God's enemy? One of the things that people forget is that God has an enemy. God's enemy is a very real being we call Satan. And among his titles, Satan is one of them. He's called the devil, the prince of the power of the air, the accuser of the brethren. There are many titles for him. And God made him the ruler of this world. In John chapter 14, verse 30, the Lord says this, I will not speak much more with you apostles. This is the night before he was to go to the cross in the upper room. He said, I will not speak much more with you apostles, for the ruler of this world is coming even though he has no hold over me. He's talking about the betrayer, and Satan has gone to betray him, and he's coming back with a group of people to arrest the Lord. Satan only wants a part of us believers in Christ. He wants our will. He wants us to willingly allow him to deceive us, and we do. And that's when his insidious methods of destruction, designed to pervert our spiritual lives, are the most powerful when we allow him a foothold in our lives. The Lord commands us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, he says, do not give the devil a single opportunity. Well, today's Bible lesson, beware of false teachers and false teaching. Beware of false teachers and false teaching. As we begin our study of a biblical letter written for believers in first century Colossae, we start with an overview of the letter, with four chapters and 95 verses of power-packed information about our peerless Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Colossians refutes the lies of false teachers, and in this lesson, we'll answer the questions you would do well to consider anytime you study a biblical letter. Well, let's hear some music. Prayer is a critical part of the spiritual life. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers as quickly as we think he ought. Danny Gokie offers perspective in his beautiful song. Haven't seen it yet.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you been praying and you still have no answers? Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed but now have you cried all-
1: seen it yet, Danny Gokey. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you for the warning of today's lesson, the recommendation of picking our teachers carefully. Thank you for putting us on guard against false doctrines designed to lead us away from the victorious life your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, crafted for us by his work on the cross. Thank you for giving us a sanctuary where we can learn the truth. Protect us as we study. Let your word flush out our minds of the garbage of the world, replacing it with your inerrant truth. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, beware of false teachers and false teaching. Well, you probably remember the story from your childhood of the Pied Piper of Hamelin. Hamelin's a city in northern Germany near Hanover. The legend describes the story of a flute player, a flautist, dressed in multicolored clothing, who uses his music to enchant rats. He played his music, and rats would follow him. He was hired by a town to lure their rats away with his magic pipe, which he did successfully. And when the citizens refused to pay for his services as promised, he retaliates by using his instrument's magic power on their children, leading them away as he had the rats. He led the children into a cave, and they were never seen or heard from again. The same thing happens every day to Christians. Satan. The enemy of God is the Pied Piper of this world. He's the most beautiful, most brilliant genius ever to come from the hand of God. He has a melodic voice and irresistible messages. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 15, the Lord speaks of the spiritual power behind the king of Tyre. Of course, he's talking about the real Pied Piper, Satan, who occasionally is uh, the real power behind us. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 says this, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom, and you were perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28, 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, lapis lazuli the turquoise and the emerald if you ever get a chance to go to taj mahal you will see those very stones in the stones of that that were used to build taj mahal ezekiel 2013 continuing and the gold the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created they were prepared ezekiel 28 14 you were the anointed cherub who covers. He was the four-winged officer, bodyguard angel. And I, the Lord, God the Son, placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked amid the stones of fire. Ezekiel 28:15. you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, created perfect until unrighteousness was found in you. Satan is the sponsor of false teachers and false teaching, and Paul's letter to the Colossians is about the pressure Satan uses to lead believers away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. As we begin the study, my recommendation is for you to read the entire letter to the Colossians once a week for the next four weeks. This is great practice to get you in the habit of making the Bible your friend and making God's word your rudder. And it's also a great practice from the standpoint that you'll get the context of the whole book rather than uh, excerpting verse here, a verse there, and not really knowing what it is that God is really trying to say to you in total, because the title of today's lesson is what Colossians is all about. It's addressing a problem in the church. What's the problem in the church? False teachers at false teaching. Now, at Barah Ministries, we use the New American Standard version of the Bible, the 1995 edition. If you don't have that translation, we're happy to provide it for you. So here are several questions as we begin the study. And these are questions that you would do well to answer as you begin studying any letter in the Bible. Because again, it's the context that's important. How many times have you heard the the letter of James perverted and directed toward salvation? That, uh, what, is, what does James say? That uh, your life without works is meaningless. And how many times have you heard pastors take that and twist it and say that, If you don't have the works behind uh, your life, you're probably not saved. Maybe you just had a head belief and not a heart belief. That's man interpreting it. But if you knew the answers to these questions that you're about to see, you would know that James was talking to believers in Christ. He was not talking to unbelievers. He was talking to Jews who had recently been converted to Christianity who had chosen to become Christians, I should say. So if you know that this is to believers in Christ, then you won't believe any of the false crap that this has anything, that James's letter has anything to do with salvation, because it doesn't. So uh, here are several questions as we begin the study. And the answers to these questions, again, will provide you with context. So here are the first three. Who wrote the letter we're about to study? Who is the letter directed to? Where did the people live who are receiving the letter? Next three. What do we know about the author of the letter? When did the author, of letter, uh, when did the author write the letter? Where was the author when he wrote the letter? What was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? And that's one of the things you should always really be thinking about. God inspired men to write the letter to address something to us. And he didn't write it to address it to the first century uh, church members as if that's all God cares about. The things that we learn in this letter that were going on in the first century, and of course the Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written, but they are more relevant today to us than they probably were to them. What does God want the author to communicate to the intended author, audience of the letter? And the final two questions, what is the main message of the letter? And the final question, what relevance does the letter have to our life today? So that's what we'll take a look at as we look at this letter and the matter of the letter to the Corinthians. So the first question is this. Who wrote the letter we're about to study? Well, we find out immediately in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, a letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God the Father. Paul didn't point it, appoint himself as an apostle. He was appointed as an apostle by God. He was given a gift by God, and he was asked to use it. And so a letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God the Father, and from Timothy, our brother, who is with me as co-worker and co-author. Paul is the hand-picked choice of the Lord Jesus Christ to write the mystery doctrine of the current divine age, which is called the church age. It is the age of grace. And Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament, 13 letters, and if not half in volume. Certainly more than half in importance. Three of the letters Paul wrote were to pastors First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. The remaining letters are to church age believers, us Gentiles. There are the Jews, and there are the Gentiles. The Old Testament was for the Jews. The New Testament, for the most part, is for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are a set of believers that the Lord called together after his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. As Gentiles, we are actually uh, rewards to Jesus Christ for his strategic work and strategic victory at the cross. The letters are Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. And as I mentioned to you last week, this year we're going to study Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians, if we are able to get to all those. They're short letters, they're power-packed letters. When I was studying last year, these letters, you know, I saw four chapters and I said, "Ah, I'm going to blow through these babies real quick." Most of them took a month. So, uh, there's a lot of information, a lot of power-packed uh power-packed nourishment in these short letters now each of paul's letters dealt with a specific problem going on in the church at the time and we have the exact same problems today so when you study the bible don't think of the things you learn as the problems of only the first century church know that these letters are speaking even more loudly to us today we have the exact same problems you have false teachers that you have chosen and they are teaching you false things and you are buying their false teaching and you are living those false things. And one of the things that I hope you examine as we study the book of Colossians is what those things are that you buy into that are absolute lies in your life that are taking you off the path of enjoying the victorious uh, life that God intended Christianity to be. Now, Timothy is Paul's protege. He was from the city of Lystra, which is a city in Asia Minor, and that is present-day Turkey. He was born of a Jewish mother who was a believer in Christ and a Greek father who was a Gentile. That was very rare back then, and you can imagine the persecution that those two individuals went through in their lives. The apostle Paul, because Gentiles were considered to be vermin, they were considered to be barbarians and ick and ew and all the other things that somebody might say about them. Well, the Apostle Paul met Timothy during his second missionary journey, and Timothy became Paul's companion and missionary partner. But Paul was older, Timothy was younger, so Paul was grooming Timothy. Now, here's how Paul describes Timothy at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. And second Timothy chapter one verse two. He says in first Timothy one two to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And so there was a father-son relationship. First Timothy one second Timothy one two to Timothy, my beloved son. So Paul had a great deal of affection for Timothy. Now, like many young pastors, Timothy was timid. He suffered from physical ailments and he let others take advantage of him without asserting his authority as a pastor. And it really makes you wonder what, Paul, uh, what Timothy's father's role was in his life, because I know from study that Timothy was really uh, influenced by the women in his life, and maybe not so much the, the father in his life. He was easily discouraged, often depressed, and despite these challenges, Timothy was faithful to the Lord and had a deep concern for the Lord's people. He took on tough assignments like pastoring the church at Ephesus. Paul established that church and was there for three years, and then in comes the young guy. That was pretty tough for him. The next question, who is the letter directed to? Well, we find out in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. This is a letter to the saints God's holy people, who are believers in Christ, believers in Christ. Remember, as believers in Christ, we are not sinners; we are saints. A letter to the faithful brethren in union with Christ, who are at Colosse, grace to you and peace, from God our Father. The letter is directed to a group of first-century believers in Christ who lived in a small town in modern-day Turkey called Colosse. The church was started as a home-based church by a believer in Christ named Epaphras. Now, there are a lot of pronunciations of the name. It could be Epaphras or Ephraphis, whatever. I like Epaphras. But why would the Apostle Paul write such a profound letter to a small group of people in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere to a group of people he would never meet and never visit? Reflecting on this, it's easy to see the Lord's concern for everyone, no matter where they are on the planet. How many times have you heard me say that, you know, people will tell me, well, all this stuff you think about Jesus Christ is all well and good, but what about the little children in the middle of Africa? Well, what about the little children in the middle of Turkey, in a nowhere town, in a nothing town? If God took care of them, it stands to reason that a perfect God would take care of the children in the middle of Africa. Now, Colossae is like modern-day Detroit. At one time, Detroit was a booming metropolis that was the cradle of the Industrial Revolution. All major American car manufacturers were based there. It was a hub of hubbub, and it was a place that you wanted to be if you wanted to make money. Today, Detroit is struggling to come back to its former glory but it is more of a carcass with the life plucked from it by the vultures of Satan's world system. So it was at Colossae. Colossae was once on a road that was a major trade route, so a lot of uh, human traffic uh, went through there. And when the trade route was changed, the city began to die. It became a small town in the middle of nowhere. Now, a home-based Christian church was started there by Epaphras. And as soon as the new church started to grow, as soon as the new church started to grow, as soon as the new church started to grow, false teachers, false teaching sprang up like a root, infiltrating the church and threatening its existence. And that's what Satan does. He profanes sanctuaries. This place, Barah Ministries, is a sanctuary. And what does Satan do? He sends in his emissaries to profane the sanctuary, people who want to just ruin exactly what is going on. Epaphras, who had learned from the Apostle Paul during Paul's three years in Ephesus, went to Rome to visit Paul to get help with the problems in the home-based churches he started. He started one not only in Colossae, But he started one in Laodicea, and he started one in Eropolis. Now, Laodicea was a place with really wealthy people. And if you ever read Revelation chapter 3, I think it is, the Lord talks to the Laodiceans, and he says to them, you know, you think you're all that because you're making money. They sold black wool, and they made tons of money. He said, you think you're all that because you make a lot of money, but really you're spiritually, you, you, you have tremendous spiritual poverty. Aeropolis was known as a healing city because it had hot springs that people used as a spa. So many people chose to retire there. Questions to begin the study of a biblical letter. Next one is, where do the people live who are receiving the letter? Colossae is about a 100 miles inland from Ephesus. And it is a place the Apostle Paul spent three years. The letter was for the Colossian believers as well as for the believers in Laodicea and Aropolis. Next, what do we know about the author of the letter? Well, Charles Dickens began his epic work, The Tale of Two Cities, with these words, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So it was with the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter. As for the worst of times, it's a bit ironic that the Lord would pick a hater like Paul to do his work. Several things made Paul perfect for the job in God's eyes. Paul knew the Jewish culture and the Jewish language, Hebrew. He also knew and spoke Greek. He was raised in Tarsus, so he was well acquainted with Greek culture and its philosophies. He had all the privileges afforded to a Roman citizen. He was trained in Jewish theology. He was capable in a secular trade, tent making. So he was able to support himself. God gave him relentless zeal. The word is dioko. And when God the Holy Spirit described Paul the persecutor, he used the word dioko. And when he he described the apostle Paul, the best believer of all time, He used the word dioko. And uh, Paul had a set of leadership qualities along with brilliant theological insight. Christianity was spreading like wildfire, and Paul intended to stamp it out. Anyone or anything that threatened Jewish culture, Jewish traditions, and the Mosaic law in Paul's eyes was his target. Paul was a relentless persecutor, a murderer of Christians. He is the worst person of all time. And here's how he described himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. He said, I, Paul, am the least of the apostles, and he wasn't joking, and I am not fit to be called an apostle, and he wasn't joking, because I persecuted the church of God. He was not being modest. He was a monster. Now, the best of times as it relates to Paul is that by the grace of God, Paul was made an apostle by the Lord. This is the thing that confuses me about Christians. We're always thinking that we're disappointing God. We're always thinking that God is waiting to come down on us. We're always thinking that God doesn't like us. God can take anybody and make anything out of them. And that's what he did with Paul. And he did that to show you that no matter how horrible you think you are, that he's here for you. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say toward the end of their life, well, you know, I've lived my life the way I've I've lived it all this time. I'm not going to go groveling on the ground and ask Jesus Christ to save me now. Okay. (laughs) Why? Why? That's just ego. God wants to save you, and he really doesn't care when he does it as long as you're breathing. And we need to take advantage of that. So by the grace of God, Paul was made an apostle by the Lord. An apostle is someone who has seen the resurrected Lord. There are a lot of people today that say they're apostles in these religious churches. They are high Paul described himself in Romans chapter one, verse one, he said, this letter is written by me, Paul, a bondservant and voluntary slave of Christ Jesus by calling an apostle and set apart by God, the father for the dissemination of the gospel message of God, the father as a minister through the grace of God, Paul became the greatest believer of all time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul said. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored to the point of exhaustion even more than all the other apostles. He worked his butt off. He was the capital E for effort. Yet not I doing the labor, but the grace of God with me did the work. Hater, prosecutor, apostle minister that's what we know about paul the author of this beautiful letter when we return from the break we'll answer a few more questions to consider before studying a biblical letter take a five minute break
2: why you ever chose me has always been a
0: Well, they're not quite. Will all never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody no, trying to tell. For the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked twelve outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose so when i hear that devil start talking to me saying who do you think you are i say i'm I'm just a nobody for the world.
1: Today's Bible lesson beware of false teachers and false teaching. That's the message of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Well, one of the greatest pleasures of life is giving my time, talent and treasure to those who want to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ free uh, who want to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ free of charge. True ministry involves giving, not receiving. Yet it's an equal pleasure being given to in return, Philippians chapter four, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, "Not that I speak, not that I seek the gift for myself, even though I appreciate it. and that was the gift the Philippians gave. They were one of the only churches who supported Paul's ministry, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account from God when you give. You're invited to join in giving to make giving to Barah Ministries part of your weekly routine. God blesses your giving and makes it have impact in places all over the world with people you know nothing about. And simultaneously, God gives abundant credit back to your account. If you listen to Barah Ministries, we appreciate it when you contribute to Barah Ministries. No amount is too small. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages.
3: Good morning, morning. my name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church This is a place for real people to listen to a real pastor teach real truth from the Word of God. This week, I chose Acts. Oops, I flipped back there. I chose Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty-five. In everything, I Paul showed showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that He Himself said: "It is more blessed to give than to receive." And I thought about that statement a lot this week, and I was thinking sometimes it's hard to receive. So you have to remember that when you're giving. Some people are going through some things in their life, or they might feel insulted if you give them advice. So I feel like a lot of times when we're giving, we need to remember to listen and just listen to what they're going through and not cross complain and not add on to stuff and not ignite their fire and not raise them up more. And then sometimes we just need to smile. And encourage them. Just you know, reverse that mentality that's going in their head, and then, you know, along those lines, if we're listening to them, we're encouraged. We're smiling and encouraging. We can volunteer for them. We can help them through what they're going through. Not just listen, not just encourage, but step in for them. You know, give their children a ride when they need it. You know, help them in their life, their daily lives. And so sometimes it's hard to receive. So we need to remember that when we're giving. And when we're giving, it's not just something that's material. You know, it's our heart. It's our body. It's our soul. It's, it's everything. And so <clears throat> it's tough because I feel like a lot of us here give a lot to this ministry, and we're waiting for more to give. But we just have to be patient and remember that God is listening, and he is smiling, smiling and encouraging us. And most of all, he's volunteering to do all the work for us. We just have to step forward. So thank you for your continued giving to this ministry and supporting our pastor and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you.
1: back today's Bible lesson, Beware of False Teachers and False Teaching. So the next question on the docket is, when did the author write the letter? Well, the letter was written in 62 AD, and it was written after the letter to the Romans and after 1 Corinthians. Where was the author when he wrote the letter? Well, Paul was in prison in Rome. And having uh, Paul in prison was a stroke of genius on uh, on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ because when you're in prison, you ain't got nothing else to do. (laughs) So he had plenty of time to write and plenty of people ministering to him. What was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? Well, there were four problems plaguing the Colossian church. Sponsored by false teachers and their false teaching. Men who were enticing them with the four thieves of the spiritual life. One is worldly philosophy. One is mysticism. One is asceticism. And one is legalism, which we talked about last week. So Paul warns the believers of Colossae in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men. And that's religion. All traditions of men designed to invite you into a prison and hold you captive, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. You remember when you were in elementary school, you were in kindergarten, and that's what uh, traditions and the principles of, uh, of men are. It's kindergarten. It's not graduate school. You know, the, the Lord and his truth, that's graduate school. But kindergarten is where you goo goo ga oh, make sure you bring your little uh, r- rug so you can get a nap. And, and what religions do is they just keep running you over and over and over through the same... Elementary stuff that could never in any way help you to do anything in your life. So see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to the thoughts of Christ. So whenever a new church is budding, the ruler of this world, Satan, sends his ambassadors to the church to ruin it. God wanted Paul to help Epaphras and the believers at Colossae to address the problem of satanic infiltration of the church. And how many times have we seen the same problem arise in Barah Ministries, perpetrated by believers in Christ who allowed themselves to be influenced by Satan? Next question. What does God want the author to communicate to the intended audience of the letter? Paul writes to counteract the influence of false teachers and false teaching and to affirm the accuracy of the gospel message, which all the believers at Colossae responded positively to. So in so doing, he communicates the total sufficiency of a relationship with our peerless Lord, Jesus the Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul writes, let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize. And what is that? It's the freedom and the victory of the resurrection life. And they defraud you of the prize by delighting in self-abasement. That's asceticism. I, I, I'm going on a fast because that makes me more holy. No, it doesn't. It just makes you hungry. <laughs> so let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. In the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause, arrogant in his fleshly mind. So often we are enticed by Satan's deceptive temptations, often with catastrophic results. Think about adultery. What happens when a member of a marriage commits adultery? Well... You know, This is the funny thing to me, and this is one of the reasons why I absolutely detest doing wedding ceremonies because of all the, oh, we're in love, we're in love, I'm in love, oh, lighter fluid love. Because what what is at the root of all that nonsense is that there's this thought that I'm going to love you and I'm going to be in love with you as long as you don't make a mistake all right so now what happens when adultery happens that's a mistake what happens he cheated on me she cheated on me i'm leaving okay well why would you marry somebody and want to be with them for the rest of your life thinking that they were never going to make a mistake that's that's the most ridiculous thing ever but that's what people do satan loves inspiring adultery Because adultery is a three-for-one. He gets your soul. He gets the marriage. And if there are any kids, he gets the family. He loves three-for-ones. And that's what happens when Satan infiltrates something. He completely ruins it. Next question. What is the message of the letter? And this is the thing that you want to pay the most attention to. The area around Colossae was full of religious hucksters. That's what false teachers are. They're hucksters looking to sell you snake oil. New ideas about what constitutes spirituality abound. The New Age movement. Yeah, whatever. The false teachers were selling religious practices, mysticism, legalism, asceticism, and philosophy. And Paul recommended... In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he recommended this. Therefore, just as you believers in Christ have received Jesus the Lord, his simplicity and purity, the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, so walk in union with him. Have that as a lifestyle. Now, we're encouraged to live the Christian lifestyle and to shed the counterfeit lifestyles, the ones we talked about last week, lasciviousness and legalism, things proposed by false teachers and their false teaching. Well, what is mysticism? Mysticism is the claims that we can attain insights into mysteries, transcending ordinary human knowledge through direct communication with the divine, or through immediate in- intuition in a state of spiritual ecstasy. So what are some of the mystic things? People turn yoga into mysticism. Uh, people turn meditation into mysticism. And what are they saying? Oh, when I, when I do yoga, it's a spiritual experience. Oh, when I meditate, it's a spiritual experience. I'm floating. Okay, look, yoga has a lot of value. But none of it is spiritual in my view. All it is is really, really hurting yourself for the benefit of being flexible. But everybody doesn't see it that way. And meditation has some value. Just stopping and unplugging from life and getting somewhere where you can be quiet and just have nothing on your mind. That has tremendous value. But when you try to turn it into spirituality, which is really the only spirituality is being filled by God, the Holy Spirit. When you try to turn it into something spiritual, it just isn't. It isn't church. It isn't the word of God. They aren't. And so let's not make it that. But in come the false teachers with their false teaching into Colossae. And now they try to turn this. Oh, all right. Your Christianity is great. But if you do this, it would just be so much better. What is legalism? Legalism is adding to the perfection that is Christianity with an overfocus on the rules, turning Christianity into a perversion of self-righteous superiority and into a series of steps we could never follow successfully. That's the funny thing to me about people who engage in legalism. They want everybody to do this set of rules, and the truth of the matter is they can't do the set of rules Nobody else can do the set of rules. And how many times do you have to not be able to follow a rule to know that you can't keep the rules? How many times? And yet, no matter how much evidence there is, people still think, I can keep the rules. No, you can't. No, you haven't quit. So that's legalism. That was prevalent in the church in Colossae asceticism was next what is asceticism it's the practice of strict self-denial as a measure of a great a greater spiritual reality rigorous abstention from self-indulgence there was a young woman of uh, who was uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine recently and she was telling him that she was saving herself for marriage uh In other words, she was not going to have sex before marriage. That's what you're supposed to do, right? That's what God recommends because sexual intercourse gets you into a lot of problems. And if you're a woman, especially, the problem is you may get a 21-year care package that you want nothing to do with. So absolutely nothing wrong with her having that as a philosophy. But what does she do? she took it to a little higher level. And because I'm denying myself and you're not, then I'm better than you. So she took her asceticism into legalism, and that's what people do. Oh, if I have self-control in a particular area, I'm better than you. No, you're not. No, you're not. And then what is philosophy? Philosophy actually comes from two Greek words, philos, which is love, and sophos, which is wisdom. So what is philosophy? It is the love of wisdom. Generally, philosophy is what people consult as they seek to understand themselves, the world they live in, their relationship to the world, and their relationship to each other. There's nothing wrong with philosophy, except that it becomes an obsession, and it becomes a substitute, of worldly wisdom for the insight from God that comes from studying the Word of God. And that makes it sad. What's the next question? What relevance does the letter have to our lives today? So, what is Colossians going to talk about that's going to help us in our lives today? Well, the Colossians had the same challenge as we do. They wanted to know about the Christian way of living so they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Yet the church at Colossae was under attack from false teachers who sought to infiltrate the church with their false teaching. In our lives today, the same thing is going on. Demonic forces seek to destroy our churches from within. And quite often, through other Christians. Wolves in sheep's clothing seeking to destroy what God is building. Yet our God is still on duty, keeping a watchful eye on us and not allowing things that are not good for us to prosper. False teachers inculcate their false teaching deeply into our psyches so that their lies become our operating system. Confusion becomes the norm in our lives. And when we're confused, all we do is run around in a circle and pump our hands on a hamster wheel. And in doing so, we forfeit the magnificent spiritual life God provides us. When the problems of this life perplex us, when we wonder why anyone will want to hurt us, the Bible provides meaningful answers. Our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians will reveal the gifts God has given us, the gift of himself, so that we can have a relationship with him the gift of the word so that we know the truth and so we know his mind and the gift of enemies who edify us through their wickedness so that we learn to per- a perseverance proven character and hope from the god who does not disappoint well what answers is this study the study of this letter going to provide for our spiritual life God only knows. But if the overview is any indication, we'll learn who our Lord is through chapter 1. We'll learn in chapter 2 the problems in the Colossian church, which are the same problems we have in churches today, the infiltration of evil. And then we'll be reminded of the keys to the Christian way of living in chapters 3 and 4. The letter to the Colossians addresses the problem of real Versus counterfeit, and I'm looking forward to sharing its insights with you. Put that up, please. The closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone, anywhere, who is undecided about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. Well, there is a person at the core of Christianity, the creator of Christianity, who cares about you. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign of the universe. He is the truth. He is God. And he wants a relationship with you this is your chance to choose to have a personal relationship with Him. Your problem is that you were born a sinner in God's eyes. Sinners need a Savior. The Savior of the whole world is Jesus Christ, and He wants you to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy two, four, Who desires for all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. You will spend eternity in the lake of fire at physical death if you do not choose to believe in him. There is only one way to get to heaven by placing your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. By trusting that he has done on the cross all the things he has done in your behalf. If you're going to place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, you probably should get to know him. And while there are many things to know about him, here are the critical few things. First, the Lord is your creator. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says this, the one who does not love unconditionally does not know the Lord, for the Lord is unconditional love. It's his person and it is his identity. The Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven all your sins, past, present and future. They were imputed to him and judged at the cross. And you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 says this. I, even I, the Lord, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. The Lord doesn't want you to work to please him. Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says this. If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is not grace. If you have to work for a gift, it is not free. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect person to lead you to salvation. Well, God in his graciousness offers you a plan to be saved as a free gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It is the gift of God the Father. Ephesians 2, 9. So being saved is not a result of your works, not a result of deeds you've done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. So how can you get to heaven? This loving, forgiving, patient God who wants you to be saved is willing to save you right this minute. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting Apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scripture, and that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scripture. When you get to know Jesus Christ, you'll have no problem placing your confidence in him, both for your salvation and for everything else. Why? Because the sovereign God of the universe wants a relationship with you. He loves you unconditionally, and he died for you. So take advantage of his grace, and you'll be saved right now. What happens if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says this. Then Jesus will say to those on his left, put that up, please. Then Jesus will say to those on his left, unbelievers, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, the lake of fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. These are not words you want to hear nor are they words that you have to hear. John chapter 3, verse 18 says this. He who believes in Jesus Christ, placing his trust in him for salvation, is not judged. He who does not believe in Jesus Christ has been judged already because he is in a state of unbelief about the person of the uniquely born Son of God. Take the easy road to salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All right, well, let's close with some music. When false teachers lead you astray, the Lord will find you. Here's June Murphy to sing about that sentiment in her song, You Ran After Me.
2: Me.
1: Thank you, June. You sang that song so well, it almost sounded like it was a CD. I mean, I, I just, she's just incredible, isn't she? All right, let's offer words of praise to our Lord. Worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, which is a place of permanence through our union with Christ. In Jesus, we have redemption, that's delivery from slavery to sin, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom and insight. Now, to God the Father, who can do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine, more than is even humanly possible according to the divine power omnipotence that works within us. To him be the glory, through the church-age believers in union with Christ, and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God and Father, thank you for providing God the Holy Spirit, the person of discernment in our lives, who leads us into all the truth, simultaneously moving us away from lies. Encourage us to listen to him. Make his voice loud enough so that we can hear him as we go back into the world to tackle the problems you are using for our edification. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have biblical questions, you can ask the pastor. Pastor at Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.